Hey guys, welcome back to Between Sessions. My name is Ebony Harris. And I'm Elisa Bokeen, and we are two brown chicks changing the face of therapy on both, both sides, sides of the couch. couch. Yes! Welcome. All right. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so hyped. <laughs> well, we're happy to be back and we're going to make sure we jump right in because I think we have a lot of questions and a lot of conversations. I feel like after the po- we've been doing a lot of like different perspectives on the same topic, I feel like, because after we had Dr. Ebony, who got our lives together, now we have Dalina here and we are so mm-hmm. excited to chat with you about nutrition and why we should be able to even want to eat and be healthy at the same time. But go ahead, at least I'm going to allow you to introduce her. Yes, yes. So today we have Dalina Soto, who is your Latina nutritionist, okay? (laughs) Yours, mine, ours. She is the Latina nutritionist and she is going to be talking about wellness from the nutrition perspective. Um, And so, Valina, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and what makes it unique from your traditional run-of-the-mill type of approach to nutrition? Yes. Oh my God. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I think that primarily, I think the difference is that I like to think of things from a positive perspective, right? Like a positive nutrition, not a restrictive nutrition perspective, which unfortunately, when we go to school to be dietitians, it is coming from a very restrictive place, right? We're learning how to quote unquote, restrict people in order to help them lose weight. We're learning how to restrict people in order to, um, you know, help them meet certain goals um, that textbooks want us to meet, right? But the biggest issue with that is that these textbooks were not written with people of color (laughs) in perspective, um, number one. And number two, our foods are never, ever talked about. It's usually, if they are talked about, um, from a bias or like a stereotype perspective. So, you know, for instance, like you'll learn like, oh, Um, Black Americans are, you know, have higher blood pressure or, you know, have more kidney disease or whatever it is because they eat a lot of fried foods, right? Latinos have more diabetes because they eat a lot of tortillas and white rice. Like these are like the little statements, blanket statements that we learn and so fear-based. And so I like to take the science that I know, right? I know what happens to food the minute it touches your tongue to the minute you poop it out. Um, (laughs) I like to take that knowledge and flip it, right? Let's talk about it from a positive place, but let's also incorporate our foods because just because they're not in a textbook doesn't mean they don't exist. Just because scientists haven't decided to look at it doesn't mean that they don't provide tons of nutrition. And with my scientific knowledge, like all dietitians could take a look at a, at a platano or a yuca or whatever and say, oh, like this is a starchy vegetable. This is what it has in it. But they don't because I quite frankly think it's lazy. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And I love that because I think the work that you do in 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 your field is part of what Ebony and I are trying to do in the mental health field where, you know, a lot of the times black and brown folks shy away from therapy. And the question is like, well, why is that? Well, because the field wasn't created with us in mind and it pathologizes a lot mm-hmm. of our culture. It, it misdiagnoses us. And so the similarities between the work that you do um, and that we do is so similar. Um, so I, again, that's why I'm so excited for you to be here. <laughs> 
Yeah. I think it's interesting part, you know, and I know we're going to get into this later, but as you were even just describing that, Elisa, I think about how we talk about these statistics around black and brown people. Right. Mm-hmm. And we don't always discuss like how stress impacts us and how living in a black or brown body creates mm-hmm. more stress. Right. And so is it really only the foods we're eating or is it also the way that our body is processing food because of the stress, stress alone in our body? And I think it's the same thing with mental health as well. 100 percent. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and get into these questions. So the first thing we want to talk about is the way that trauma impacts our relationship with food, right? So we understand that, as you stated, these are cultural foods that we eat, um, things that have been passed down from generation to generation. But I'm curious how intergenerational trauma impacts that relationship with the foods that we do eat. Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's so crazy because, again, as I started doing this work, the more that we learn, right, about like these traumas that are held on and passed on from generation to generation. But I think a lot of it has to do with assimilation when we come into this country, right? Like trying to assimilate to what dietitians and doctors and nurses and healthcare providers are telling us to do, right? So when we immigrate from another country, um, I'm, I'm speaking from a Latino perspective, right? Um, we come with all these traditions and all of these foods, but then you walk into a doctor's office and they tell you, oh, that's bad for you. And you're kind of left like in limbo, like, well, what do I do? Because this is what my family has been eating their whole life. And now I'm being told that it's not. So it becomes very stressful. And a lot of the people that, that I work with basically tell me that they're like, screw it. I don't even care. I'm not even going to manage my diabetes. I'm not even going to manage my cholesterol because why, why, why am I going to add another stress stressor to my day? Right. I think we need to think about like social determinants of health and how that adds to the trauma. So I think that it's just like a snowball effect of, um, just, being black and brown in a country that does not really look at us as equal. (laughs) Um, And we don't have the same opportunities when it comes to um, having food or access to food, right? Having access to healthcare and all of that compounds, right? So I feel like a lot of the times I hear, oh, well, you know, Latino communities don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. Like they're not in in our foods. And I often think about like, you know, my family comes from the Dominican Republic. I think about how like our foods, first of all, are not separate. They don't look like my plate. Our foods are combined. All the ingredients are in there. But I also think about like my abuela coming to the United States from having fresh fruit from her backyard in her house and then coming here and not having access to those fresh fruits and kind of like maybe even modifying the way that she ate or passed down recipes because she didn't have the ingredients, right, that she would have had in her country. Um, I hear that a lot with the Puerto Rican population because like a lot of them, you know, migrated here. Um, and a lot of the food there is imported. It just, there's just so much, it just, <laughs> it's just so yeah. much, yeah. Um, but that just adds to the stress. Right. And I think that the, the one thing that I, I want people to understand is that stress and having high stress, right. Or even like that, like continuous stress is going to affect our blood sugars. It's going to affect our cholesterol. It's going to affect our blood pressure. So food shouldn't be a stressor, right? We should really try to at least take that out of the equation um, because there's some micro stresses that we can't really, well, we're never going to get real stress, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Which is such a shift in how I think we think about wellness and we think about, um, 
you know, what it takes to quote, be healthy. Uh, just the idea that food shouldn't stress you out. And like how many of us have stress around food? I think food in our body, right? Like mm -hmm. those, I think are the two of the most major triggers and stressors in particular, I think for women, mm -hmm. um, where it's like, I should be a certain body size and I need this, I need to eat this in order to mm -hmm. be that body size. And then, you know, I've learned so much. I have to, you know, full disclosure, like I've learned so much because I've worked with Dalina and I follow her and am part of her group coaching and all of that good <laughs> stuff. Um, but just, you know, even understanding some of the origins of these standards of health that they're mm -hmm. really rooted in anti-blackness mm -hmm. um they're 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 racist and they they're not inclusive um and so you think about all of that and the impact that that has on us and how we eat in our relationship with food and how could we not be stressed right? <laughs> like how could we not be stressed and it's i think to what you're speaking of is how the onus is kind of back on us like we're not eating the right foods or our foods are you know the the foods that you eat if you're being bad you know mm -hmm. again i'm using that in quotes yeah yeah <laughs> and you said one thing i think the way that you you spoke earlier you said about the way we eat our foods is different as well mm -hmm. right i remember mm -hmm. you said one day you know we don't we don't eat salads we eat salsas and i'm yeah. like I got my greens, I got my onions. Like, and so I think being able to shift this per perspective and again, not pathologizing our cultures and our and the way we live. And that's what makes uh, our cultures so beautiful is so important. Um, which kind of takes me to my next question because kind of still going deeper into this, you know, it seems as if, if we want to be healthy, we have to stop eating some of the foods mm -hmm. um, that we most enjoy, or at least substitute them with cauliflower. You know, just more bland options. So yeah. what, what impact does this have on us as black and brown folks when we're worried about our health or we want to be proactive about our health? Yeah, I mean, all right, I'm going to try to go deep, but not too deep, because then I would be here for like 20 hours. Um, <laughs> we understand, we understand. So I think that, again, Elisa, like what you said is so important for us to understand, right? Like if we think about, again, who is doing the research, who's looking at the nutrition, usually cis white men, right? Like there, there's barely any women in research in STEM, right? Like there's not that many. And then how many of them are actually of color? So again, we're thinking about from a perspective that like most of the research that's being done or like the guidelines that are being created, these people have never stepped foot in our countries, have never stepped foot in like a black community, have no idea how the food is cooked. And then unfortunately, I think one of the the hardest things is that like when we have black and brown folks go into the field, they also get kind of like whitewashed, right? Because they're like, I want to help my community so much. And this is what the science is saying. So like now I also have to perpetuate this. And it also has to do with assimilation. And it also has to do with trying to fit in because you worked so hard to get a degree that you don't want to go against the grain, right? You you want to you want to teach what you learned. And I think it takes a very dope um yes yes <laughs> clinician um to be able to kind of like use that critical thinking and be like wait a minute like this isn't right because i grew up 
with these foods. I grew up eating them, right? So I think that that's like the first thing. I think that for a lot of people of color in these fields, it's really hard for us to come to terms with the fact that like we just spent all of this money learning all of this stuff and now how do we actually apply it to our people? Because lived experience matters, right? Because our, you know, cultural foods matter. So that's one thing. The other thing is you're right, like these numbers, like the BMI or like a lot of like, I think about like blood sugars and cholesterol and all of like that. All of those numbers were created using, again, people that don't look like us. So I often think about like these statistics are quote unquote so high in people of color, but like, what if we actually looked at people of color by themselves like would we have a different equation would we have Mm. a different range would we like Mm. you know like that's like what i think about but like the science isn't there y'all and i'm not i'm not going into research (laughs) right right yeah (laughs) but if we think about it that way can you imagine if like we actually took the time to look at it from that perspective and maybe like we would have our own ranges and then maybe the diagnoses weren't be as much right i think the mm. same thing is for you know mental health like like you said earlier um there's just so much misdiagnoses um happening so i think that when it comes to food again it's just an easy thing to control it's an easy way to assimilate, especially when we take, if you Google wellness, if you Google dietitian, like what you're going to see is a thin white woman. And what happens is that we've been kind of like brainwashed to think that that's health, right? We've, we think about just like beauty pageants and we think about like um, TV, like I've been watching this show Supernatural. I don't know if anybody watches that. (laughs) And it starts like in, I think 2007 or something like that. And it blows my mind how thin these women are. Mm, Like, look how thin. And I'm like, oh my, I'm looking at these. It doesn't matter what ethnicity they are. They all look, they have to fit that mold to be on TV, right? But think about being a child growing up or like coming Mm -hmm. into this country or watching TV. There's this one very interesting study, of course. I didn't know we were going to talk about this, so I didn't pull it up. Um, But I think it was, I forgot what country it was. It was in South Asia, I believe. Um, Gosh, I can't remember. I'm going to send it to you after after we're done um, talking. But basically, they didn't have TVs. And then Mm. probably like in 1998, they brought TV um, into this island. And within six months, about 80% of the girls started exhibiting eating disorders. Mm. Uh, Because they had never seen British or American TV before. Um, They were able to just like live their life, no idea of like what other people looked like. And then Mm. they're watching Baywatch and like Mm. Saved by the Bell and like all of these shows. And like exponentially, the eating disorder behaviors happened. Um, so imagine us growing up with it. Right. right. <laughs> and imagine right. like, just like I think about Latino television and how, again, the idea is thin, long hair, straight hair, huge right. butt, big boobs, right. snatched waist. Right. Which I think is also for like the black community. Like you, you can be big in certain areas but you have to be small in other areas and still kind of like meeting that exotic right look that like eurocentric mold but with a little bit more like exoticness to it right which again is so messed up so food we assume is a way to control the way that our bodies look and a way to fit into a world that truly hates 
fat bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so food, when you're told that cauliflower, substituting cauliflower for white rice is going to help you, why aren't you going to do it? You don't care how right. bland it is. You're going to right. go ahead and you're going to eat that cauliflower. You're going to say, it's so good. And again, it's because our brain is tricking us to think that it's good so that we eat more so that we can replenish those calories, which at least you know all about the starvation. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Which yes. again is like mind blowing to me that we have this like data. And still, like, nobody talks about it. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. all of this is interconnected. And so, yeah, substituting our foods for, quote, unquote, better foods, it's going to help us feel like we're doing something good, right? In a world right. that's constantly telling us that we're wrong for looking this way, for being this way, we're too loud, you know, whatever it is, food just seems like a perfect way to fit in. Um, and whatever gets thrown at us, we're going to try it because it's easy, right? And because... The wellness world is always going to have some gimmick of like drink this celery juice or eat these kale chips or have all of this right because from i don't know if we can talk about supremacy and stuff but yes absolutely from a place of like white supremacy or whatever it's about controlling right it's about controlling your body controlling you um, and restriction makes you feel in control, makes you feel good, makes mm. you feel like you're doing it right. You have willpower. And when you don't, then you're bad. They gave yeah. you the they gave you the rules, they gave you the check off, like the mark the check off the marks, follow it. But if you fail, that's your that's up to you because psh, you did that, right? Or I often think about like these wellness gurus that have people starve to death when there's actual people starving in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Can I curse? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Like, what a yes. fucking privilege to start yourself. Yes, mm, yes, To go yes. on water fasts, mm-hmm. to like, yeah. do all these cleanses. Like, that's a freaking privilege. And mm-hmm. there's actual people starving in this world, but you are going to be good and reach, like, you know, divine dignity. Oh, there's so much. <laughs> yes, this yes. Is good. All right, I went on a huge rant. No, you're good. Because no. it, it keeps, it makes me think of, like, when me and Elisa always talk about, like, we, um basically want to have people of color on both sides of the couch it makes me think of this right because of how important it is to have representation and to have people that are actually looking into how this impacts us in a cultural way right and I think to your point of a lot of people do go to school and they they learn the rules and they just say okay this is what I'm going to teach but when you have people that are actually going in and say no this doesn't fit this doesn't align this doesn't make sense and then you do the work to show other people I think that's extremely important and it sounds like you've done went a lot deeper than a lot of people have to truly understand how this impacts our cultures and to make sure other people are aware of it so that you can know like, okay, I don't have to just follow this status quo, right? Even as a nutritionist, I think it's good to, for people to see it. And then other nutritionists can say, oh, okay, maybe I have, it, it never felt good. It never felt like it was right, but mm-hmm. I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. I, I really appreciate you just even having this conversation. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, the importance of us being able to go to providers. You know, we talk about being able to go to black and brown providers, being able to go to a black brown uh, nutritionist that can tell you, you the reason you hate kale is because it's nasty. Right. Yeah. And because there's no seasonings. Oh my God. I always crack up at the memes that are like, 
um, didn't Shaw like colonize our countries for the seasonings? Like, why aren't you using them? <laughs> yeah, you 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 robbed our countries for these spices. Where they at? Because the kale is bland. How are we gonna make it taste good? And that's the thing, bland. right? There's all these like ideas of like if it's healthy, it has to taste bland. If it's healthy, it shouldn't taste good. They take pleasure away from food, and they say you're always talking about pleasure, but all of it is interconnected, right? It's about keeping us in control, keeping us not like from not, not experiencing pleasure. It's such a ugly, bad word in so many ways. And that's why things are labeled as like sinfully good and like delightful. Mm, Yeah. Right. It's all marketing. Um, Yeah. It all comes to that. Yeah. It keeps us feeling enough shame that we Mm -hmm. go buy the next wellness product Mm -hmm. and the next, you know, wellness trend to continue working ourselves. And all the while we, we feel terrible about ourselves. Right. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've, I know that like right now where I'm the size that my body is in is I've never been in this size, but I also know when I've been in smaller sizes of this, of my body, I still was struggling. Right. So it's like you, you, we don't always think about the impact that all of these messages and the things that we see and what we think we should be doing, we're not doing. We still never feel like we're good enough. Like we still never feel like we're healthy enough or again, because the, the association between wellness, health, and thin, mm-hmm. you know, that being the standard. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just so glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. I, as, as we talk um, from someone, and I've said this before on this podcast, who has been dieting, trying to lose weight since I was like a preteen, right? Mm-hmm. And and obviously a lot of it is the way we're socialized and the media and all the kind of stuff. And while I've had the um, desired black body growing up, I still felt like it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't good. It didn't feel good for me. And so I think about like the number of diets I've done, the number of ways I've attempted to lose weight and all of that. And to Elisa's point, like how it never is quite enough. Right. And it always feels like either you're struggling and suffering to lose weight or you're struggling and suffering in the body that you have. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very curious, like when we're talking about dieting and, and, you know, we talk about diet culture and all of this, and I feel like this whole conversation is kind of answering this question, but what is so bad about dieting? Why does it impact us in such a negative way with our physical and our mental health? And and is it is it dieting in particular? Is it the word? Is it restriction? Is it like because I feel like sometimes we'll say like I'm not dieting. I'm doing a lifestyle change. And it's yeah. like, well, tell me the difference, please. Why can we Yes. Okay. I love this question. Okay. So yes, I will start off that the other day I did a post that was like the average person does 126 diets in their life. And mm-hmm. people were like, where's your peer-reviewed study? And I was like, first of all, it was a poll. I don't need a peer-reviewed study. <laughs> right. Excuse me. First of all, like you should be asking other people for peer-reviewed studies. Like, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And think about the math. If you start dieting when you're 15 and you do an average of three diets for 50 for 40 years. When you're 55, mm. you're going to hit 126. And how mm-hmm. many people do one or two diets a year or three diets a year? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't need a damn peer-reviewed study to know that this is probably very much true, if not right. even more. Like that number might be a little tame. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. number one. So if diets were supposed to work, then why do we have to do 126 of them and still hate our bodies? That's number one, right? Number two, the word diet is really supposed to mean a form of eating, a way of eating, right? But of course, it's been taken into more of like a restrictive 
scenario, right? And so a lot of people will say, yeah, I'm not dieting. I get to eat what I want. It's a lifestyle. But like, is it a lifestyle if you have to count your chips? Mm, like if you have to sit there and count 19 almonds to be able to eat them like is that a freaking lifestyle if you Mm -hmm. can't just like wake up and enjoy your day without stressing about like oh crap i have to meet these calories or like oh crap i have to exercise this much or like i have to look at the menu before i go out to eat or i have to work out this amount of time to be able to enjoy birthday cake with my kid like how is that a lifestyle how is that like any way of living and again i think that if we think if we take a look at history, which if you haven't read the book, Fearing the Black Body, I I highly recommend it to everybody. It's a really (laughs) intellectual read. Uh, Sometimes you have to go back and read the same thing over and over again. She she does such an amazing job, Dr. Sabrina Strings, um, at like breaking down the science and like also breaking down the history. I mean, she starts at like the 13th century. Like it's mind blowing Mm. to me um, how far she goes back into history. But like voluptuous, big bodies were always, again, the norm. And then there was like a shift um, when we started thinking about eugenics and how that came into play in the science world. Um, And so it has shifted really in like the closer end to like where we live now, where like this thin, frail woman look is what's been considered to be quote unquote healthy. And there's so much religious and like racial implications to it. That's just like mind blowing. So again, we're keeping ourselves hungry and starved and restricted in order to achieve a look that was never meant for us and our bodies, right? Number one. Mm. Um, Number two, the more you restrict, the more your body actually wants to hold on to weight because your body does not give three flying shits whether or not you want to lose weight. It just wants to survive. It just wants to live. It wants to have enough energy to run your brain and your red blood cells and your heart and everything, right? So if you're not giving it enough energy, it's going to hold on to whatever you're eating, right? So a lot of people are like, I barely eat, but I keep gaining weight. And I'm like, well, duh, because you're not eating enough. So your body's actually holding everything, right? Or like the people that are like, I went on XYZ diet and I lost all of this weight, but then I got off of it and I gained more. And I'm like, because this is your body's literal primal response <laughs> to the fact that it thought it was in a famine. Right, right. And your brain and your body have no rhyme or reason to think that you're going to purposely restrict. So they're going to do everything against their power or your brain and body is a well-oiled machine. It will do anything to get you to eat enough, which is why we have like, I'm addicted to sugar. It's like, you're not addicted to sugar. You're just not eating enough carbohydrates or enough calories. So your body's making Mm. you think about sugar all day so that you actually Mm. eat it. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. It's not that you're addicted to food or it's not the portion sizes. It's that you're literally not feeding your body enough. And so your body's going to make you want to eat more. Like your hormone levels are going to go up. Right? And we... Again, hear a lot of like gurus and wellness people talking about like reducing this hormone in your body so that your hunger goes down and blah, blah, blah. But nobody's talking about the bigger picture of the fact that like years and years of restriction are going to make those hormones out of whack because Mm. your body's been trying to get you to just eat enough and find your stability, right? And then there's stress. And then there's mm. a lot of us have become sedentary because of course jobs or whatever. So like there, we have to look at health from like a whole bunch of different standpoints, mental health, physical health, you know, how we eat, 
but it's not just as simple as eat like me, look like, or exercise like me, and you're going to look like me. Like that's just not going to cut it. And a lifestyle yeah. that makes you count chips is also restrictive. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, th- I think the worst <laughs> diet experience I had back in my twenties, I did this, tried this cabbage soup diet that a girlfriend of mine had lost all this weight on. And I was like, what is it? She's like, you can have all the cabbage soup you want all day, but it was just like cabbage soup. It was just like chicken broth, chicken, cabbage. And that's it. Like, don't put like seasonings in it. And I cried by the end of the day. I was like, I bought all of this ingredients, but I can't do this. (laughs) I can't do this. So, so, okay. So if dieting, dieting isn't the answer mm-hmm. and weight isn't an indicator of health, then what should we be focusing on? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, we want to make sure that we're eating enough, um, that we're getting enough for our brain to work properly, right? So that our at least our mental health can also be part of all of this. Um, and we need to have enough energy to move our bodies, right? Like if you are working out, forcing yourself to work out and you're like waking up the next day and you can barely lift your arm, that's a sign that your body's super duper stressed or you stress it too much when you were working out and you didn't eat enough to replenish and rebuild that muscle, right? Like, and I think what we don't realize, right, is that overworking out, right, is a disorder, one. And two, it's causing more stress to your body. The same stress and inflammation that all the gurus are telling you that you're going to get rid of by drinking celery juice, you're actually making it worse by over-exercising and not eating enough. Your body's stressed beyond belief, right? Mm. So we have to let go of all of these notions that there's like a perfect way to doing it. And I think the way that we do that is by connecting with our body and understanding its hunger, understanding its fullness, understanding what it's telling you at every given moment in time, and also learning to find pleasure in food again, like learning to find, you know, letting food hit the spot. Yeah. (laughs) Because when you do that, when you heal that relationship with food, you'll start realizing that like some days you'll eat more, some days you eat less. Some days you're like, oh my God, all I want is like a huge plate of fruit and vegetables. I don't even want to look at anything Mm -hmm. else. Like I just want that. But it's, you're not swinging from end to end of the pendulum. You're just like right in the middle. You're just like living and enjoying your life. You can get up and go on vacation and say, you know what? I'm just going to go eat and not have to worry about counting or looking, right? You can wake up and like enjoy life with your kids and with your family and you don't have to worry about it. And the beauty of it is that you your weight actually stays stable because you're not yo-yoing back and forth mm. between it, right? But also like when we say stable, it's like you have to understand that if you're a menstruating person, Right, right, right. The hormones are going to jack you up a few weeks out of the right, month. And so right. your weight is going to fluctuate. So when we talk about a weight set point, we talk about like a range, right? You don't want to be fluctuating, you know, 30, 40 pounds and then dropping 30, 40 pounds. That's not great for our body either. But when you're like menstruating and you're whole, retaining water and your hormones are a little weird, like, you're going to probably see 5, 10, even 15 pounds, you know, that you might hold on to or like high stress, you know, months, you might notice that that number goes up, but then the stressors go down and you might notice that it goes, you know, back to normal or like where your body usually is. But it's all about like understanding that our bodies are meant to stay stagnant. There's this idea like, oh, I still fit into my jeans from high school. You weren't even done growing in high school. <laughs> right. 
you were a child. You're a grown ass woman right now. Like, what are you doing? Your hips weren't even wide enough to give birth yet. Like, stop. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes, genetically speaking, some people are small like that, but that's not everybody. Right, right. Well, and I think the other thing to consider, you know, if you, the importance of being able to be connected to our to our bodies is what I'm hearing a lot from like being able to be in tune and connected to your body and how somebody I think is important. Somebody who is, um, who's had a lot of trauma in their lives, right? The mm-hmm. impact that trauma can have on our bodies and disconnect us from our bodies. And so again, I think this speaks to the, the, taking that holistic approach to health is let's say you're working with somebody like Dalina and then working with somebody who is also a mental health practitioner. If you do have trauma to be able to help you work through the trauma, help you release the trauma from your body so that you can be more in tune. Oh my goodness. I, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. <laughs> like what yes. you just said was, I, I wrote down. So I was like, I don't want to forget my thought, but literally it's what you just said. I, as you were talking, I was like, this all connects all, all not all you're saying, cause you're saying a lot, but what I hear is like, <laughs> be still. Right. And and pay attention and learn and listen to your body when it comes to like hunger. What do you crave? And I will say that for me on days when I am not trying to fill my schedule up with all the things on days when I kind of have time to rest and relax, I can pay attention and say, okay, I feel kind of hungry. Am I really hungry? I drank some water 10 minutes later. No, I'm not really hungry. I just was bored. Right. Or I really, I lately have been craving, like I have been craving vegetables and salads. Like I really want a cold crisp salad or something like that, but that's because I'm paying attention versus just like going, going, going. Mm-hmm. And even with the the physical health and the, and working out and things like that, I've been hearing that a lot, which I always pay attention to messages that I hear repeatedly. The idea of like work out, um, but also you need recovery, right? You don't mm-hmm. just keep working out and working out and working out. And a lot of times people can work on my arms today, my legs today, the next day, my full body. Next, and that's okay if your body is fully recovering. But if mm-hmm. you're still in pain and then you're going back in and trying to work out your arms again, you're not really helping. You're causing more stress, as you said. So I think a lot of what you're saying is just kind of like, we have to learn to be still. We have to learn how to connect with our body and truly listen to like what's working and what's not versus just following the the list of things you're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. uh 1500 calorie diet and work out 45 minutes a day mm-hmm. and burn this many calories while you work you know all of that when you're not paying attention to your body then your body just gets into survival mode it sounds yeah like. yeah and again like we're thinking about it from like a place of like most trainers most dietitians most nutritionists are being taught that but can we talk about how fat phobic that is because we're mm. saying that everybody should be eating 1500 calories right well no actually that is a really really low number like right. most that's the diet number are, that's, that's the diet number <laughs> yeah. that's because what we're taught in school is reduce your day by x amount and then x amount means and i don't want to say the numbers because i like don't ever want anybody to like listen yeah. to this and then try yeah. it but then you're going to lose one pound of, of yep. a week, right? Yep. Or if you do this number, you're going to lose two pounds a week, but we're not freaking robots. Like that's right. what I think people, we don't plug in and out. So there's no way that your body's going to need the same energy every single day because your hormones, your stress, your activity levels, all of that changes day to day. We're, yes, we are creatures of habit, but we also move differently every single day. So our needs are going to be different every single day. And when you connect, you're able to see that, right? But again, we're just taught the science and we're not taught to be humans. 
if that makes yeah. sense. Like we're not yeah. taught to be, to listen to lived experience. And also like, why can't people just be happy in the body that they are? Like, why do I have to purposely shrink you? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stress. I mean, <laughs> if you just keep hearing it again and again, right? Like stress is the major factor here. And I think the biggest takeaway that I'm getting is, again, one, you're looking at standards or you're trying to reach standards that are essentially racist standards, anti-Black standards, and it's not taking into consideration who you are, where you're from, all that makes you and your culture yep. um, beautiful, and not taking into consideration what it is to be a Black or brown person in this country at this time and the mm -hmm. stress level mm -hmm. that just to leave the house that you'll get back to the house. So, yeah. whoo! Okay. So much, so much here, so much. <laughs> right, Man, right. Yeah, we're going to have to have you back for a second one because we'll I'm telling you the conversation. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like every time we have these conversations, I was like, man, that just opened our eyes to so much, right? And then so we know that people that are listening are going to get something from it. Uh, we do want to know from, from your perspective, why is taking an anti-diet approach to wellness dope? Why is that dope? It's dope because it puts you first, right? It puts mm. you and your health first. Now, full disclaimer, anti-diet is also being taken. Right. <laughs> of course. Everything. And being, so <laughs> everything gets taken from us um, and, like, again, taken to the extreme. But I think that for me, it's more about thinking of positive nutrition. Like, that's the term mm. I started using because they can't really take that from me, I feel like, although they probably will find a way to do it. Um, but it's really about putting yourself first, like nourishing your body, nourishing your brain, nourishing your soul, <laughs> mm. like to, to live, right? To fully experience life, right? Like food is just so beautiful. There's not one, one you know, culture in the world that doesn't mourn or celebrate with food. Like food yeah. is what makes us human, right? Animals can eat and walk away and have no connection to it. But we as human have this like experience around food, which again is beautiful. Right. And we should embrace that. Love right. that. I love that. I think I we always get to this question with our with our guests. And to me, it's always evident by the end of the of the of the session. Um, but we always love to hear y'all's perspective. So Valina, what makes you a dope nutritionist? <laughs> that I am going to see you as a whole human being um, and take your lived mm. experience into consideration and in anything that we talk about. And also, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to mm. listen and help you figure out what works best for you and your body. That's wow. extremely important. Yeah. I love that. Amazing. I feel like that's so similar to, again, what we right. as therapists say, mm -hmm. like we're taking all of this into consideration. We're not going to tell you what to do. We're just going to, you know, help guide you help and guide give you, you. information. And I think it, it really does put perspective to like, you know, what's best for your body. You just mm -hmm. have to tap into it. Yeah. And oftentimes we're so, again, disconnected that we're not able to do that. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for this This was so good. I'm about Please. to go get a shirt that says the BMI is trash. <laughs> there is. There's tons of shirts. I'm going to tag yes. it in a bunch of them. <laughs> Actually, um, who, uh, some, okay, I got to find it. Like there was this huge now, what is that group that does like here now? I don't know. It's like a huge. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know thing. what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's called thing. here now. Uh -huh. Here now. They did uh -huh. a huge thing about BMI being bullshit. Um, Peloton just released a whole thing about it as well. Oh, interesting. Good. 
Um, so again, I think again, and it's all because of Dr. Sabrina's work. Like she's, mm, she, yeah. because she, she's, you know, talking about it so much. There's so many, um, articles and like things being written now about her work and how she went back and did the the mm. research um but again it's so important for us to understand that like we've been asked to fit a mold that wasn't created for us i think right. that taking up space living joy like being happy right that's right. a revolution in and out yeah, of itself yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll yeah. make sure to link that book as well because I, I yes, it sounds yes. like one that everybody needs to kind of take a look at and read. So tell us how do people contact you? How do they get in your programs? How do yeah. they work with you? Well, um, you can find me at Instagram. Uh, my handle is your nutritionist. I get asked like, do I have to be Latina to join? No, but we do work from like an anti-racist space. We're talking about white supremacy. We're talking about racism. We're talking about, you know, all of the things. So if you're going to be uncomfortable with that, then right. you're not going to be able to come in there. Right, right. <laughs> so that's the thing. Um, and yeah, and like, you know, as Elisa says, she's she's part of my group coaching, which, you know, is is open all year round. You come in, you hang out with us. We have ton of tons of fun. And then you work through my course. Um, and then you come to the group meetings and, and you discuss it with us, get like that individualized coaching while you're there. Um, and then I have another, a, a bunch of few like goodies in there that you can download, you know, for like low cost and just get to learn, dip your toes in it to see if like mm. this is what you really want to work on. Because again, it's, it's up to you. Like I tell everyone, like I'm not the dietitian for everyone. Cause there are people that are like, I absolutely need to lose weight. I absolutely need to do that. And like, I get it. It makes us feel, um, in control and makes us feel like we're gonna fit in and I would never want to take that from anybody this idea right. that like they're doing something wrong but I'm not gonna restrict you so if mm. that's like your own like if your sole purpose is to like restrict and, and see a number on this scale then I'm not gonna be the dietitian for you because as you've heard right 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 <laughs> this whole episode we're going to be undoing a lot of what you think mm -hmm. is health and rediscovering what health actually is to you um, and that number on the scale we will never check love it Love it. That was love, amazing. It, love it. Love it. So good. I knew this was going to be a good episode, but <laughs> love it. We appreciate you so much. So definitely check out, um, uh, I was going to say Latina's work, Dalina's work. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We'll definitely have all those links in the description as always. And we appreciate you for watching. We hope you got something from this. Make sure that you leave comments um, on YouTube or on SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast, as well as subscribe, rate, share, all the things. Follow us across social media at Melanin and Mental Health, Melanin Health on Twitter, and head over to MelaninMentalHealth.com to find a dope therapist, our dope merchandise, um, previous podcasts, as well as to find out more information about what we're up to. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.